Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Well, the top-ranked Christian Facebook pages in 2019, it's somewhat generic names. Uh, Some of the top 20 pages, Facebook pages in 2019 were as follows. Be happy, enjoy life. Jesus is my Lord. Life is beautiful, blessing, smile and shine. Purpose of life, simply beautiful, light of the world, and speak loudly. That's just a snapshot, I think nine snapshots of the overall 20 uh, top Christian Facebook pages in, 20, in 2019. The problem was that there were many who were fake, that were fake pages in 2019. In fact, you might be surprised to find that 19 of the 20 top Facebook pages in 2019 were actually fake. Those that I read, every single one of them was fake. And in fact, of the 20 top Facebook pages in 2019, only one was legitimate and authentic, the Guideposts Facebook page. There are European troll farms that steal information from other Facebook pages, post it on their own, then also use the travel, the audience that they get, the traffic that they get to their own Facebook page to post provocative content, political agendas, divisive story about hot button issues like race and sexuality and also distribute partisan political stories designed to influence voters. It's pretty significant, friends, that 19 of the 20 Facebook pages were all false. According to an internal Facebook report that was publicly released by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in September, all of them, these, all of the, the 19 of the 20 were fakes. They were pages part of a larger network that collectively reached nearly half of all Americans. Over 140 million Americans a month were reached by these troll farms on the Facebook pages. At times, up to 40% of U.S. page face views went to fake sites that stole content from legitimate sites and then repacked it into kind of clickbait type of engagement. We're in a series called Jesus Continued. And in this message series, we're looking at some of the final words of Jesus in John chapter 14 through 17. In John 14 through 17, Jesus is telling his disciples, look, guys, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be raised from the dead. But then after that, I am going to go. I'm going to ascend into heaven. This was shocking news for his followers who had followed him for three years, listening to his teachings, watching him perform miracles, hearing words come out of his mouth, seeing the action of his life as he loved others and cared for their needs. 
They weren't sure how their worlds would continue to exist without Jesus walking beside them, walking the streets of Palestine. We said earlier, and maybe we'll get our chart back up here again in a couple of weeks, but this, this dialogue in John chapter 14 through 16 happens right just a few hours before Jesus heads to his crucifixion. And one thing that he says is, guys, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the advocate, someone who walks along beside you. And this Holy Spirit is going to be your teacher. This Holy Spirit is going to encourage you. This Holy Spirit is going to be your helper. This Holy Spirit is going to enable you to remain in me, to remain in my truth, so that you're not allured by fake information, so that the foundation of your life is not based on that which is false, not based on that which happens to be trending. But guys, I'm calling you to live lives of stability, lives rooted and grounded in my truth, and you're to remain in me. You're to draw life from me. The Holy Spirit is going to remind you of the truth that I've taught you ever since I've called you to follow me. Those were Jesus' words to his disciples 2,000 years ago. And while Jesus was speaking to them, his words are also for us. And to us, he would say, continue to remain in me. Continue to draw life from me. Don't be searching for fads. Don't be searching for things that can maybe cause a rush of adrenaline. Instead, do the steady work of diving into my truth. Depend on my Holy Spirit. Seek the Father in heaven. Talk to me through the avenue of prayer that we looked at last week. Remain in me and I will remain in you. That brings us to John chapter 15. We just scratched the surface of that two weeks ago. And then last week, our guest speaker, Keith Grant, uh, took us into John 15 to talk about how prayer is a significant way that we remain in Christ. And so I would encourage you to flip your Bibles open to John chapter 15. I really always encourage you to bring your Bibles to Southridge. If you don't have one, you can certainly grab one from the chair in front of you. Also encourage you to bring your little message notes booklet so you can scratch some things, scratch some amazing diagrams and all that kind of thing. Uh, just take some notes to remind you of what we go over here during the week. We're going to cover a lot of verses this morning, but hopefully look at some things that will help us to root and ground our lives in God's truth, to help us remain in him, receive life from him. John chapter 15, verse 1, here's what it says. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes 
so that it will be even more fruitful. We're going to look at three things this morning. Number one, what remaining is not. Secondly, what remaining is. And then thirdly, what comes from remaining, and that is bearing fruit. Number one, what it's not. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. He's, in one sense, borrowing a metaphor that's often used throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, God often talked about the nation of Israel as being a vineyard. God had called the nation of Israel to walk with him to follow after him. It was through the nation of Israel that God wanted the light of who he was to shine to all the people of the earth. In Isaiah chapter five, verse four, here's what it says. This is God speaking. God says, what more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? God looks at Israel and says, I poured out my love to you. I told you who I was. I gave you a land to live in. What more could I have possibly done for you than what I've already done? And then he says, but when I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? And so this is the words of Isaiah speaking the words of God. And the words of Isaiah are simply like God is saying, the nation of Israel, look at all that I've done for you. I've rescued you from slavery and bondage in Egypt. I've done incredible miracles to provide for you. I've given you my law. I've told you who I was. I've instructed you how to worship me. I've desired you to be a living light to the nations and the world around you. You're my vineyard. But I've invested all of that. And when I look for good grapes that a good vineyard should produce, instead, all I find is bad fruit. All I find are, is rotten fruit. Which reminds me of this, and this is, what Je- this is where Jesus is going. When Jesus is saying, remain in me, many of the people listening to Jesus in that day thought, well, I'm part of the nation of Israel, and therefore I just sort of automatically belong to what God is doing in the world. Because I associate with the nation of Israel, because I'm generically connected to the nation of Israel that God had been working with, that means that I'm good, you're good, everybody's good. And so what Jesus is saying is this. Jesus is saying there is a stark difference between remaining in Christ and simply associating with spiritual or religious stuff. There's a huge, gigantic cavern indifference between true, authentic, remaining in Christ and simply being associated with or connected to or having familiarity with the truth of who God is or being connected with religion. And friends, I don't think I have to convince anybody that we probably have that same struggle in our lives. I think often the reason we don't sort of experience the blessing of remaining in Christ, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but the reason we don't experience sort of the richness and fullness of that, the reason our lives often don't produce fruit is because we often think, well, I'm associated with it, 
I know it in my head. I can articulate theology. I can sort of tell you what's true. But Jesus is saying sort of association with, familiarity with, mild connection to is much different than remaining or abiding or being deeply connected to the vine. And so Jesus actually gives a warning. And those who were part of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, that was especially those who he was talking to. He was saying, don't get mixed up. Just because you wear the label of Jewishness, just because you have a history in your nation of the God of heaven working with you and desiring for you to be a light to the nations does not necessarily mean that you're actually drawing life from the God of heaven. And friends, man, I want that to be hard words, even for us to hear, not necessarily scary words, because we're not supposed to run around filled with anxiety and fear. Like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I might like, there, there's some of that. And the, the solution to that is simply to remain. But sometimes I, I let the weight of that fall on me because there's a lot I can't articulate. I'm deeply associated with a lot of religious stuff. And so for me in particular, man, is it easy to be associated rather than to truly remain. And so I just kind of want you to do a little analysis in your life. Are you kind of associated with God? Are you associated with church? Are you associated with religion? Are you associated with, you know, kind of good, upward, upstanding moral behaviors? Or do you actually remain in Christ? Do you actually remain in the true vine? You see, in their day, they had kind of all these little dots kind of all over the place. And, you know, religion was a dot and then they had their social life and then they had their agricultural life and then they had their national life and they had all these little dots and they paid big attention to this dot here because this was the God dot. And so, you know, they needed to kind of like dot that I and cross that T periodically. That was the God dot. And what God was saying is, no, 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 it's not all these dots, but instead what it means to remain is all of these things are bathed in your relationship with Christ. You know, friends, that kind of impacts how we do life and it impacts how we see things. I remember this was probably, gosh, it was well over two decades ago. I remember listening to a talk show at that point, and the talk show host was pretty conservative in nature. And I remember just some of the language that he used and, and sort of a, maybe a demeaning and belittling sort of way of approaching those who disagreed with him. Uh, kind of like putting them down, uh, degrading them, belittling them, debasing them, disparaging them, denigrating them, uh, speaking brashly or demeaning in a meaningful way to those who disagreed. And I, I still, re, I, I can still remember this. I'm kind of embarrassed, but I, I can still remember thinking and, and maybe, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be embarrassed because I probably still have some of these thoughts, but um, like I thought, man, I remember wrestling with whether or not he was a believer in Christ. And I literally remember thinking this thought. If he's not, and if he does become a follower of Christ, 
Like my fear is that's going to make him less impactful. Because like in order to change culture, don't we sort of need to be demeaning? Don't we need to be disparaging? Don't we need to be belittling? Is that, wow, we've, we, there's somebody who's outspoken who is kind of like giving it back like it comes. And if, if like the gospel gets in there, that means like you can't be belittling or berating or demeaning anymore. And therefore it's loss of impact. Now listen, friends, as followers of Jesus, we are called to speak truth. And next Sunday, we're going to dive into the following verses in John where Jesus talks about, man, like when you speak truth, like people are going to disagree with that. They're going to have a problem with that. And we're going to, we're going to dive into what Jesus is saying there. But what I want to say is this. Sometimes we don't remain in Christ and we don't let the truth of who God is influence every single aspect of who we are. And we think that if we can just kind of like be like the world or be like the other side in this particular area or that particular area, then we'll actually have more influence. Then we'll actually get things done in a better way. Listen, friends, what I want to ask it is this. Does Christ ooze through your social media? Does Christ ooze through your Netflix subscription? Does Christ ooze through your entertainment? Does Christ ooze through your credit card? Does Christ ooze through your Amazon? Does Christ ooze through every aspect of your life? Or are you simply associated with religiosity and associated with maybe some good, moral, upstanding positions but you don't really remain in Christ. The life of Christ doesn't really ooze through every aspect of who you are. And man, I think actually what would change our world these days is not so much us using the tools and weapon, weaponizing truth or whatever it is that sometimes we see in our culture that demeans, devalues, and speaks harshly and brashly to people but maybe the gospel is actually true. That maybe the best way of producing fruit is not to copy the ways of our culture, but actually to remain in Christ and let his truth ooze through every aspect of our being. So what it's not, remaining is not simply association. <laughs> remaining is not simply familiarity. Remaining is not simply coming to church, although that's a huge part of equipping us to remain. But now remaining is deeper than that. It's everything being under the umbrella and within the circle of who God is. Secondly, what it is, what it's not, we looked at what it's not. It's not simply association with. It's not simply familiarity. It's not simply mild, lukewarm connection to. What is it? Verses four through seven. And in this, I think there's eight times where Jesus talks about remain 
in these verses. He says it three more times, actually, in verses 9 and 10. But for now, we'll just look at verses 4 through 8. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus says, remain in me. Don't simply associate Don't simply be familiar with. Don't simply give intellectual assent to. Instead, ground, root, nourish your life on the truth of who God is. Throughout this whole, and I probably should have asked somebody to do this. Throughout this whole chapter, uh, does that that look like a vine? Is that good? It's kind of like, isn't that a beautiful vine? Give me a little, give me a little appreciation here, right? Yeah, it's a nice, nice vine. Look, that's the vine. There's like a little branch coming off here. All right, you probably want to cut that whole thing down. But um, Jesus is saying this, I am the vine. I am the source of life. You're the branches. You draw life from the vine. Now, now first thing I want us to understand is this. Jesus acknowledges, and this is true across humanity, that every single person draws life from somewhere. Which simply means this, friends. This morning, you are not a self-contained, totally independent person. This very morning, you're drawing life from somewhere. You're drawing life from some kind of source. Something gives, something energizes you. Something animates you. Something gives you vitality. Something is your life blood. As a human being, you draw life from somewhere. And so the question Jesus is asking is not whether you draw life from somewhere, because every one of us does. The question of Jesus is, where are you drawing life from? It's a non-negotiable question that you're drawing life from somewhere. Something energizes you. Something gives you vitality. Something you believe will cause you to flourish. You are drawing life from somewhere. The question is not if you do. The question is where you draw it from. And so to that extent, Jesus is saying, If you're drawing life from me, you're going to be fruitful. If you draw life from me, your life will flourish, not in terms of economic prosperity, but in terms of the fruitfulness that comes out of your life. But if you don't draw life from him, your life will become shriveled. It'll become unproductive. It'll be a worthless kind of branch. And so I look at that, I think, and I'd love to just 
have some interaction. If you want to throw something out, you can. What are some of the top things that our culture would say? Yes, this energizes us. What are we taught in culture that says this will give you vitality? Pursue this and it will cause your life to flourish. What might be some of them? I'll list one. I'll list a couple. Autonomy, right? Coca-Cola? <laughs> Career, money, any others? Let's go with autonomy because autonomy is probably an umbrella one. Our culture says autonomy is the way for your life to be fruitful. If you're autonomous, if you're self-directed, if you can define your own freedoms, it will lead to a flourishing life. If you can have self-rule, if your rules are your rules and nobody else's rules, that's the place where your life is going to flourish. That's the sap, the sap of autonomy, the sap of self-determination, the sap of absolute freedom, the sap of self-rule. You suck from that sap and it is going to enable your life to flourish. That's exactly the message of our culture. Define yourself, be your own rule, dream your own dreams, blaze your own trail, follow your own path. Friends, autonomy is the number one umbrella that under which everything else falls. Determine for yourself what your sap is going to be and you'll flourish and you'll be fine. As an expression of that, one of the pretty significant forms of self-autonomy that we see in our day is sexual autonomy, correct? You know, if, if autonomy is, general autonomy is the big, big umbrella, like, like here's, the, here's the cultural vine. The cultural vine says self-determination. The cultural vine says it's autonomy. One of the things under that umbrella is sexual autonomy. Choose who you want to be. Express yourself sexually however you desire. That will provide something that energizes your life. It'll give you satisfaction. It'll animate you. It'll be your lifeblood if you get to express who you are sexually however you desire. How's that working? Not so well, right? And, and, but friends, here's what I also want us to understand. Because this impacts how we see things like some of these sexual issues happening in our culture that you and I and all of us as followers of Jesus are tremendously concerned about. Sometimes we approach those issues of sexual issues in our culture and all there's all kinds of things, sexual behaviors, identity issues, all of that. We can kind of approach that as sort of just nasty moralistic stuff where that are in violation of God's rules. Yes, there are a lot of things that violate God's principles, but what I, under, what I want you to understand is this. It's not out of simply moralistic arrogance or moralistic narrow mindedness. 
that we as followers of Jesus believe that God has created every person uniquely as male and female and deeply loves them as his creation. It's not simply our moral narrow-mindedness that says that sexuality is to be expressed between a husband and a wife. But friends, what we also acknowledge is that if we violate God's principles, it will not lead to flourishing as God intends. It will not be the path to a fruitful life as God intends. And so it's actually out of love that we say, here's what God's truth is. It's not because we're narrow-minded. It's not because we don't like people. It's not because we like throwing God, God's law around as a club. It's because we're, we know that the only sap that really gives our life fruitfulness and enables us to flourish is living in the truth of who God has created us to be. And when we talk about those issues we don't do so with a sense of arrogance and, and beating other people over the head. We do so with an issue, at least I would, with a sense of, you know what? Can anybody else here identify with trying to find life somewhere other than Christ? Anybody? Like, yeah, right? Like, I try to find life in affirmation. I try to find life in ministry effectiveness. I can try to find life in successfulness. I can try to find life in a myriad things. So I can talk with somebody who's struggling with sexual issues and say like, yeah, maybe I can't identify exactly with that particular issue, but I sure can identify with trying to find life place other than Christ. What about you? I got to know about you, but every day of my life, I have to fight finding life in places other than Christ. And so I don't know what your story is. I don't know where you're trying to find life. I may have absolutely no connection with your area of how you try to find life. Maybe it's some sign of sexual behavior. Or I don't know what it is. And I might not be able to identify with your particular struggle. But one thing that we all can identify with each other in this room is we're all life seekers. We all are trying to tap into some vine. And for all of us, man, I don't know about you, but my heart is prone to wander from finding life in Christ. And so I can engage with those who are trying to find life somewhere else. I can engage them with love and compassion, with truth, as well as with grace, because I know what it's like to try to find life in places other than Christ, even if it's good stuff like church or work or ministry. Let me just give you a list of things that maybe you remain or abide in. As I read this, these are kind of a little bit detailed, but just kind of let these things kind of impact your mind, your imagination. Jesus saying, remain in me, draw life from me, abide in me. Let my truth be the all-encompassing circle in which you do life. What do you remain in? What do you abide in? Some of you remain in defeat. Think that you're 
no good, that you're just a defeated person, that you're somehow assigned to live a life of defeat. Some of you abide and remain in fear. What primarily goes through your mind, what you dwell in from day to day, the soup that you drink, the water that you swim in is fear. You remain and abide in fear. For some, it might be accomplishment. You remain and abide in accomplishment. And if I can just do this, if I can just get to this level, like that's going to enable my life to flourish. It's going to enable my life to be just successful and wonderful. And like that I finally have energy and vitality. Maybe it's negativity. Maybe it's financial success. Maybe it's cynicism. Some of you probably remain and abide in cynicism. Some of you remain and abide in fantasy or escapism. If I just had another spouse, if I just had a spouse, if I just could relocate, if I could just get out of this circle that I'm in. And some of you remain and abide in sort of what kind of the cloud that you live in. The circle that you dwell in is escapism and fantasy. Maybe it's affirmation of others. Maybe it's pessimism. Some of us in this room remain and we abide in pessimism. Maybe it's sexual fantasy. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's acceptance. That what you remain in, what you abide in, is just, am I being accepted? Am I being affirmed? Are people around me or my peers, do they think I'm successful? Am I perceived that way? Some of you, it's dread. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's pleasure. You abide and remain in, in some form of pleasure or entertainment. Maybe it's inadequacy. Some of you remain and abide and what's kind of constantly coursing through your veins is just a sense of inadequacy. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's failure. Maybe it's alcohol or drugs. Maybe it's regrets. I'm going to ask Mike and Donna to come out and they're going to play a little bit and then we're going to sing a song. But what Jesus is saying is this, don't remain in any of that stuff. Don't let it be the atmosphere in which you live. Don't let it be the primary force that establishes the path of your thoughts throughout the day. He says, instead, remain in me. Let the truth of who I am remain in you. What does that look like? Sometimes, friends, I think it's, it's so simple. We don't do it. It's not simplistic. It's not simplistic. But it's simple. Jesus says in verse 9, 
as the Father has loved me, so if I loved you, now remain in my love. Remain in my love. Dwell on it. Direct your mind to it. Use your imagination to extrapolate all that that means for your life. Probably a lot of us are good at using our imagination to think through things that we worry about, have anxiety about, that we fear. Maybe we use our imagination to picture success, to picture what it would be look like if we lived with the affirmation of others. We use our imagination for all kinds of things. What does it look like for your imagination to remain in Christ? To just extrapolate, to enjoy, to not simply know and associate with the data that God is love, but to actually remain, absorb, let the life nourishing sap of his love flow into your life. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I've just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy, the joy of Jesus, may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Just gonna let Donna play for a few minutes. And as she does, you can bow your head, you can close your eyes, you can keep your eyes open, look at the cross behind me. And just do a little internal check for a moment, friends. What are you abiding in? What are you remaining in? What's sort of the controlling dynamic of your life? What's the air that you breathe? What's the water that you drink? Is it the Father's love? Is it that you are his good and unique creation? Is it that his hand is at work in your life, whether you see it or not? What are you remaining in? What are you abiding in? What are you drawing energy from? What's animating who you are? Just going to give you a minute or two of silence, to, or not silence, to, to talk to God about that as Donna plays, and then we'll just stand and sing to close our service. Just give you a moment.
God, we, because we're human, we draw life from somewhere. Something animates us. Something energizes us. Something is our lifeblood. May we draw life from you. May we remain and abide in your love. And may we not just check that box off and move on. May we meditate, imagine, be captured by your love and grace and mercy. It's extended through Christ. May we remain in the vine that is Jesus. Let's stand together and Mike and Don are going to lead us in the refrain from one of the songs that we sang earlier. And this song reminds us of some of the truth that we remain in, that we abide in, that we're captivated by.
thank you that your love and kindness, your peace and mercy follows us. May we remain in you even as you remain in the Father. Thank you that the Holy Spirit who indwells us empowers and equips us to remain in you. May we draw life from your truth. May it cause our lives to be fruitful for the glory and honor of Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. And everyone who agreed said, amen. Our prayer team is down here to the right. We'd love to pray for you. Have a wonderful day. God bless.